0: How you guys doing? Good. All right, all right. A lot has happened since last Sunday. Okay, a lot has happened. Um, the whole world is shut down, which is crazy. Uh, but I just want to address the, the, what, we're going, what we're all going through right now, just for a, a second, and uh, just say this. Um, as of right now, because uh, people are asking questions, people want to know what's going on. As of right now, we're planning on still doing church on Sundays. And, uh, but that's not, the you know, we're, we're, we're trying to figure it out, all right? It, it's difficult. As of right now, the government hasn't told churches that they have to shut down yet. And so we're kind of taking advantage of that, even though we know that churches all around Tiffin and all around Ohio have, uh, have shut their doors for, some of them, not just for this week, but for weeks. Um, we don't necessarily want to do that. And, uh, and so we're trying, to, we're trying to figure that out. And let me just say this personally. Um, it's just, dif- it's a lot harder of a decision than I think a lot of people think. Some people are, are like, well, it's definitely this way or definitely this way. And it's like, no, it's, it's hard. Um, because for me personally, I go, I, you know, I think back through the last 2,000 years of church history, and I know the church in general has met together on Sundays, um, even when it wasn't Hard, or even when it was, in a sense, dangerous. Not saying that we'd do that, but I'm just saying, you know, that's in the back of my mind, where even when the government has shut churches down, the church moved underground, um, you know, our spiritual ancestors, if that makes sense, where they're meeting in tombs and catacombs and they're meeting among, you know, dead bodies to still do church, even when the government would say, you know, hey, if we find you, we're gonna burn you at the stake, you know, alive. And so it's just crazy for me to think, you know, this is in the back of my mind. I'm like, even though, you know, even all that going on back then, the church felt like, or at least a lot of people within the church, Christians felt like it was worth the risk. Okay? Um, now, obviously, we want to minimize risk. And um, if the government tells us that we can't meet, we'll have to, obviously, we'll have to take that into consideration figure, figure out what we're going to do. Uh, but there's something about the church meeting together um, face-to-face together in fellowship that you can't do on the internet and, uh, and God tells us to meet together and we're, again, we're still trying to figure it out. But what I'm trying to say is it's not a clear-cut answer one way or the other. And we know that we're going to get criticized in our community um, by some. And we know even people within our own church are, will, will criticize us, unfortunately. But we're trying to do the right thing. Um, along with that, we have taken some ex- extra precautions. Uh, we have—we're not shaking hands. We're not passing the offering plates uh, today. We—we uh, we have hand sanitizer out in the out in the atrium, and uh, you know we want—we'd encourage you if you got some illness or something going on uh, to please stay at home, and you can listen online or watch watch our Fremont campus online. That's totally fine. Uh, but uh, again, we're just trying to do what's right. By the way, parents, let me say this. Every week, that we, regardless of the coronavirus, we have always done this, um, but every time your kids go into our kids' ministry and they play with a toy, every time a toy is used, all right, it gets washed and sanitized, okay? That happens multiple times a week, and so just know, you know, we're already proactive on this, and we're already trying to stop sickness and, and the flu and stuff like that, so uh, that's part of it. The last thing I want to mention is kind of what AJ was talking about, and I'm not saying this to alarm anybody or anything like that. I'm just saying this just because this is, this is the f- facts, um, and as a church family, you know, I feel like this is something that maybe we should talk about just a little bit, even though it will be awkward, um, but, and this doesn't apply to anybody who is new or this is, you know, one of your first times here, this is only, I'm really only talking to those of you who... Um, say you're part of our church family, and you've been coming for a long time, and this is your, this is your home church. And that is, um, I've never had to worry financially about our church ever before, okay? That's never been something I've ever had to think about or even worry about. Um, but I am a, like a little bit worried at this point, just because we don't know how long this thing could last. And this could be weeks, this, could be, this thing could be two weeks, or it could be 10 weeks. We don't, we don't know um, what the future looks like. And um, our church here in Tiffin, we're already on a shoestring budget. And even though we have six to seven hundred people on any given weekend, uh, any given normal weekend, um, we, uh, the reality is we give as like a 200-person church, if that makes sense. And so um, I'm in there with you guys. I don't want people to think, oh, the pastor's, he, you know, I've heard this, which angers me actually, where it's like, the pastor's, he's, he's only after your money, and he, you know, that's not the case. I am giving to this church too. Um, and I'm not saying this to brag or not saying this to to rub it in anybody's face by any means. It's not my point. But I give over 10% of what I make back to the church, just like a lot of you do. Um, and so I uh, just want to say this. That's something God tells us to do. Um, we're supposed to give a po- small portion of what God gives to us back to God. And this is the way that God has designed us to do it. Um, I'm in there with you guys, and I'm sacrificing as well. Um, and so, you know, if this is something where you're like, I'm not... Coming anymore, or you know, I'm gonna stay at home. That's okay. Uh, but if you could, you know, still don't neglect the giving part, that would help us out. So awkward conversation over. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Fremont has actually been thanks. <laughs> well, I guess. Um, Fremont has actually been supporting us, um, our campus, and there's generous people in Fremont that have been sacrificing for us. And uh, here in Tiffin, we haven't yet gotten to the point where we can hold our own yet. But we'll get there. We're new. We got a little bit of grace, that's okay, Uh, but that's just so you guys know. So um, this is our last week in Ephesians. You guys ready for it to be done? Oh, no? Okay, well, Paul stopped writing, so um, (laughs) you're going to be done. But uh, but we've been in this for eight weeks, okay? And uh, next week, we're starting a brand new series called Pandemic, I wonder why, Um, (laughs) where we're going to be talking about fear. We felt we... We switched things two days ago. So we were gonna do something, but we'll push it off till next week or next year. But uh, we're gonna start a new series on fear right before Easter. Um, But with Ephesians, last week, I want you to remember that Paul, he's writing this as a survival manual to a church in this huge city called Ephesus, okay? We've been talking about it for for literally two months now. Um, Ephesus was a huge city. It was a primary trading hub in Rome, okay? Had lots of people there. Um, It was also one of the epicenters of worship for many Greek and Roman gods, okay? There's like over 50 temples to these fake gods all over the city. And so people would come from all around the world to come to Ephesus to worship their God. And what I mean by worship their God, a lot of the gods is you would go into a temple, you'd sleep with a temple prostitute, and then you'd party, and that was their worship. Um, and so that's you know, that's what a lot of people were coming to. It was one of those places where it's like what happens in Ephesus stays in Ephesus. Um, not exactly a Christian-friendly environment that these people were living in. And Paul, he knew these people. Okay, he loved these people. He actually spent two years with these people in Ephesus, we read this in in Acts chapter 19, and when Paul originally gets to Ephesus, there's 12 guys, that's how big the church is, 12 people, right? And at the end, Paul and those 12 people, they start sharing the gospel, they start spreading the word about what Jesus has done, and at the end of that two years, before Paul leaves, There are so many people that become Christians, so many people turn uh, to God that it actually puts one of the major businesses, one of the major economic um, businesses within the city, it almost puts puts them under. And uh, all the, it, a whole industry is what I'm trying to say, all the silversmiths and the goldsmiths and the people who worked with wood, the iron workers, they all got together because they, one of the major industries within the city was making these little fake gods that people would take that fake god, they'd put on their mantle at home, and that god would protect us and, you know, all this stuff and, you know, just uh, really nonsense. And, uh, and, but this industry almost went down. Because right? so many people were becoming Christians that they stopped buying these fake gods. They're like, well, why do we need to buy these fake gods? We got one god, and, and you know he's real, and these aren't... These aren't real. And so all these guys got together, and they formed this huge riot in the city of Ephesus. And actually, they took over the amphitheater in Ephesus. We read this in in Acts chapter 19. And Paul, he wants to go out. They actually drag one of Paul's buddies in there. We don't know what happens to him. And Paul, he actually wants to go in there, and he wants to address the crowd and tell them and and really share the gospel with them and and, um, reason with them. But there's some guys in the church that won't let him go in. It's like they physically hold him back, like, Paul, you're not going in there. They will kill you, right? And so eventually, like a day later, Paul, he decides, hey, I'm going to leave. Things are getting dangerous. Um, You know, things are getting crazy. And so he actually leaves, and he starts going to city, to city, to city, preaching the word or preaching the gospel. A couple of years later, fast forward, Paul, he's sitting in jail in a Roman prison and he decides to pick up a piece, uh, a piece of paper and a pen, and he starts to write this letter to that city, city that he had been there for at least two years with them, that he knew them, that he loved them. And the first thing Paul starts talk, talking about, right, is that we were chosen. He starts talking about our adoption by God. We we talked about this and how God is literally pouring out his grace on us. He chose us before we, before the earth even existed. He was like, yeah, I want that one, that one, that one, and that one. Those people, they're going to come to me. They're going to choose to have that relationship with me even though we were dead, right? We talked about that. Even though we were messed up, even though he, Paul goes as far to say in the first part of Ephesians that we were Satan worshipers. Even though we were Satan worshippers, he still called us and he still chose to pour out his grace on us. And it shows us his love. And Paul talks about his love and says, you know, we can't really understand God's love. It's so high. He says it's so, it's so wide. We can't understand the width, the length, the height, the depth of God's love. It's so, it's so huge. But it, we should be filled with the fullness of God. We should be filled with that love. And because God has done all this, because God's love is so high, because he's constantly pouring out his grace on us, because he loves us so much, because he's chosen us, and he's adopted us into his family, and that he's actually our dad now. And that's how he wants it to be. Second half of the letter, he's like, you should live this way. All right? We talked about unity, how the church needs to be united, how God has specifically given us specific gifts that we are naturally good at. When we become Christians saying, hey, I've given you this gift to serve the church, to serve the community around us, right, to do good, right? We talked about how we need to, Mike talked about how we need to take off our old self. We need to put on our new self. It's kind of one of those things that, in a sense, we need to do every day. Like, it takes effort. Like, it takes a conscious decision. AJ, he talked about how we need to imitate God a couple weeks ago, something that's a lot harder to do than said, right? And then last week we looked at relationships and how we need to do relationships God's way. Because God loves us so much, because God cares about us, we need to do relationships God's way. We need to do our parenting relationship God's way, we need to do our work relationships God's way, and we need to do our marriage God's way. And Paul, he could have ended there, um, which would have been like wrapped up kinda nicely, But he doesn't, he actually says one more thing And that's what we're gonna be looking at today And this last thing that Paul talks to them Or writes to them about Is actually probably the most important thing Um, And so I want you to keep in mind As we read today These are literally Paul's last words To these people Okay, these are his last words And so he's saving kind of the most important thing For last in, in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 He says finally Meaning this is the end, here we go All right, last thing be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Now, let me just mention one thing. A lot of times, how do we view God? Right? If you're like me, sometimes, we shouldn't, but sometimes we do, we view God as the old man sitting, like, on his throne, got some angels, little babies flying around him or something, playing harps. You know what I'm talking about? But he's, like, got, He's like super white, got his, like, white robes on, but he's just old, you know? Like, because he's been around forever, so he would be pretty old. And that's how we view God. We don't view God as, like, strong. We view him as, like, a weak old man sitting in a chair. Right? That's not who God is. Right? Paul, he says, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Like, he's got so much strength. Right? He says, be strengthened by him. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness. It's against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. See, Paul, what he's doing here, he's giving us a warning. That's what he's doing. He's saying, hey, uh, he, I, I've told you all the things you need to know about. I've told you how to get saved. i told you everything that you need to do. This is how you need to live your life. Now I'm giving you a warning. And the warning is this, that we as a church, we have an enemy. And he's coming for us. And that's Satan. All right? Now, most of us, uh, we don't think about Satan a lot. Okay, if you do, maybe that's kind of weird. Um, but uh, maybe we should more a little more often. But uh, we don't think about Satan. We also don't think about the battle that's happening around us. Okay? Uh, but a lot of us sitting here, we're sitting here and we're like, you know, I get maybe, I guess I get what Paul's saying. But, uh, but my, that's not my biggest problem. Right? Like I got bigger things going on in my life. Like my biggest problem is my relationships. Right? Or my biggest problem is my finances. I got, I got money problems. Or, or maybe it's health. Or maybe it's the coronavirus. Like, this is my biggest problem right now. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know what the future is. I don't know what's going to happen. Or my biggest problem is the, my job. Maybe it's not even just I'm looking for a job. Maybe it's the people within my job. Or my biggest problem is my marriage. It's just falling apart. See, I got bigger things going on than, than what Paul's talking about. And that's not what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, no... Those could be problems. All right, those, sure, those are issues. But our biggest problem isn't those things. He's saying our biggest problem is Satan. See, that's what he says. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Right, our struggle is not against these, uh, you know, not against these things that we can necessarily feel or see or touch. All right, we got bigger problems than that. See, the word struggle here in the Greek, it actually, I feel like it's poorly translated, although I'm no scholar, Um, but uh, it actually means wrestling match, okay? So it's like, and it's not just any kind of wrestling match, like you get on the mat and you kind of mess around. No, that's not what it is. This is like intense wrestling, like life or death wrestling match here. That's what the word struggle means, right? It's like wrestling with... Everything you got, every ounce of energy goes in to this wrestling. And, and so our problem isn't necessarily relationships or finances or, or health or this virus or job or marriage or all these things we have in our life that we can point out. Every single one of us can do this. We can go, well, you know, I got to work on this. I got this problem. I got this problem. We all know we all have problems. But Paul's saying, no, your biggest struggle, your biggest intense struggle, wrestling match, your biggest life or death, wrestling, the the thing that you, you put everything you got into? He says this. It's against the rulers. It's against the authorities. It's against the cosmic powers of this darkness. It's really against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. That's who we wrestle against. That's our fight. Now, our culture... We don't buy into the whole Satan thing, really, right? some of you guys, you're sitting here and you're going, really? Like, you serious right now? You believe this? Is that exact? is that what it actually means? Right? See, a lot of us, we don't view Satan as real, okay? And I, by the way, I think that's one of Satan's, like, best strategies. I just don't recognize him as real, All right? And then a lot of us, we, we're like, yeah, I believe in Satan, I guess, but, uh, but it's some far-off, distant thing. Like, you know, this is not something that really affects me. Um, you know, it doesn't affect us here in Tiffin, Ohio. See, let me just say this, is that Jesus, he talked about Satan. Right? He actually talks about Satan quite a bit. Um, and if you believe in a God who created you, who loves you, who died for you, who chose you, all this stuff that Paul has already talked about, who loves you, um, you should probably believe what Jesus said about the, about the spiritual realm. Right? I mean, that only makes sense. See, Paul is saying this. Now, listen up. This is so important. This is key. Paul is saying Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy you. You can't just hide. All right? It's not something that it's like, well, you know, I just don't, you know, stick my neck out there. I'm all saved. No, he wants to destroy you. Peter, he actually says in 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says, hey, Be alert. Because your adversary, whose adversary? Ours. He's saying your adversary, not God's adversary, this is, although he is, but he's saying your adversary, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. devour. What's he say to do? Run from him? No, he says resist him. We're supposed to resist him. See, Satan is on the hunt. and He's looking for anyone he can trip up because he hates you and he is real. All right? I mean, think about it. He's the one who's behind our culture. He's the one who's behind our movies and our shows that constantly is, like, shoving in our face that sex can, can fulfill us somehow. All right? He's the one who's behind our economic system that teaches us that money means everything. The more we get, 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 doesn't matter if we're poor or rich. It doesn't matter. We're all, we all view money that way. Right? He's the one who sits as the counselor or the psychologist offering us hope apart from God. He's the one that tells us to, to rely on the government, that the government is our help and the government is the answer to all of our problems. See, he's the one who even has teaching within churches, even churches within, here in, in Tiffin, all around us. They say, hey, 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 life is about you. Or a teaching that says, hey, you can pick and choose what you want from the Bible, that's okay. Or, or hell's not real. You don't, have to, you don't have to worry about that. Or, well, everyone, everyone goes to heaven. Or, hey, you are a good person. All right, you're a good person. Or, hey, put your faith in, in your works, put your faith in the things that you do, put your faith in being a good person, or put your faith in. And taking communion or being baptized or put your faith into all this stuff. Sure, you can believe in God, but put your faith in this stuff, too. See, Satan is real. And he's going after us. See, when you become a follower of Jesus, the reality is that me and you, we become a target. Right? For a very, very strong... Enemy. I mean, think about it. Satan has been trying to mess us up from the very beginning. We see this all the way back in the book of Genesis. We see Satan trying to trying to mess us up. Uh, we see, you know, God creates Adam and Eve. Right? And how many rules did, did God give them? One. Right? Not too complex. Okay? He gave, he gave us as humans, or Adam and Eve, he gave, he gave them one rule. Um, and it's not to eat of this one tree. We see this in Genesis chapter 2. He says, the Lord God took the man, and he placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man. He says, hey, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on that day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So you get what's going on? I mean, we can almost picture this in our minds. He's got one man. He's got one woman. He puts them both in the garden, a garden that he specifically designed for them. See, our relationship with God was perfect back then. It was perfect with Adam and Eve. God, the Bible tells us that God would come down and he would walk in the garden in the cool of the day. So in the evening with Adam and Eve, just walking and talking. They had a real, deep, true relationship. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wanted for us. And that's something that we as Christians will get to experience someday. But it was a perfect, perfect world. There's no death, no disease, no coronavirus, no pain, no shame, no sorrow. They don't have to worry about any of that stuff. I mean, it's literally God saying, hey, the whole world is yours. Just don't eat from this one tree. By the way, let me say this. That was not heavy-handed, right, one rule. See, a lot of times we view God and we're like, well, God, you know, he's got a lot of rules and, you know, I can't live up to all his rules. It's impossible. He's got this and that and that and that. No, there was, there was one rule, one choice between right and wrong. He was not heavy-handed on them and everything was going good and then Satan shows up in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It says now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, "All right." So Satan literally possesses a snake, and he says to the woman, "He says, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Think about that. Did God really say? He says what he does." I mean, that's what, that's what he does to us. He, he, he gets us to question God's word. I mean, how many of you have ever read something in the Bible where you're like, well, I don't agree with that, right? We do that sometimes. we are like, that doesn't seem fair. Maybe it's what we talked about last week. Maybe your husband, you're like, I got to love my wife self-sacrificially like 24-7. That's impossible. <laughs> or maybe you're, a, maybe you're a, a wife in here and you're like, you're telling me I got to submit to my husband? I don't like that. Right, that's, I don't like that. That's not, that doesn't fit our culture. I mean, how many times have we looked at God's word where it says do this or don't do this, and it seems just completely unreasonable to you? Makes you wonder, did God really say? Well, I don't know if that applies to me, right? See, that's how Satan does it. That's, that's what he does. He gets us to question. He says, hey, hey, he's like the, the little person in your mind. Is like, did God really say this? Are you sure? Remember, he's crafty and he's smarter than us. And he begins by getting Eve to doubt and he convinces us to doubt. Okay, we are no different. Check out how Eve responds. It says, the woman said to the serpent, she says, well, we may eat of the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. See, God didn't say that, did he? We added something here, or touch it. Now, I just want to talk about this for a second. It, some people say, well, you know, that's what Eve told Adam or, or maybe Eve made it up. It doesn't really matter, Okay. It doesn't matter, but God did not say or touch it, so no matter what, one of them messed up. We as humans, we still messed up. We added something to God's word, right? It's not what God said. God didn't say anything about touching it. So whether this was mixed up in translation, it it doesn't matter, but all I wanna say is just be aware of religion in general. See, religion is different than what Christianity is really supposed to be. See, religion is, hey, I wanna do all this good stuff so that I can impress God enough that he'll let me into heaven. Good luck, right? See, Christianity, true Christianity is supposed to be a relationship. See, it's, hey, God has called me, he has adopted me to be his son or his daughter, and because he has chosen me, because I have surrendered my life to him, I wanna do good stuff. You get, they're exact opposites. Religion, Do good stuff to get to heaven. Uh, Relationship is, hey, you're already going to heaven, now you should do good stuff. Right? See, that is the difference. Religion always adds stuff to God's word. Always. It's always extra little things. When we look at the Pharisees in the New Testament. They're always, axi- they're always adding in all these extra rules. Just like we see here in the garden at the beginning of time. Right? And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not pointing out anybody in particular who's doing this. I'm just saying just be aware of it. Okay? Because it's out there and it's all around us and, and it's a part of our culture for sure. Verse 4. So, how Satan says, Satan says, No, that's not true. God said, uh-uh, No, he, he's wrong. You will not die. The serpent said to the woman, In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. By the way, notice that, that Satan doesn't say, Hey, God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He doesn't point out the part where, where, where that wrong actually was. He goes to exactly against what God said. Hey, God says you won't die, which God actually did say. And it says, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at. She looks over at it. Maybe they're standing right there. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. She wants that wisdom. And so she took some of its fruit and ate it. It the, the saddest verse in the entire Bible. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate it. Ab and Eve, they both sinned. What does Satan do? Straight up lies to her. He straight up lies to her. Right? In fact, he's, he, he starts reasoning with her. And he's like, actually, you know, God didn't say that. That's not true. Did God really say, well, God said this? Oh, well, that was wrong. No, that's not what God said. Right? That's not, what he said wasn't true. You know, God, he actually knows if you were to eat of this fruit, you would actually become like him. He doesn't want you to become like him. Right? For our culture, our day and age, what he does is he's like, hey, you know, for them, he's saying, hey, he's trying to keep you down. But for us, it's like, hey, this is a dumb rule. Or this rule shouldn't apply to you. This rule doesn't apply to your culture. This rule doesn't apply to your situation. I mean, how many times I hear this all the time, where I'm like, well, the Bible says this, and it's like, but, but do I, you know, uh, the, well, this is this situation that I'm in is, is completely unique of any situation that's ever happened before. And I'm like, huh? <laughs> right? I hear that a lot. You know? Or that's like how we act. But we all think that way. Right? That's what Satan does. Is your situation is different. Yeah, he may have said that, but he wasn't talking to you. See, it's the same lies that he tells us. Satan is crazy about it. Satan has not changed. He hasn't changed. He hasn't changed his tactics, all right? See, because of him, the whole world is broken and creation is broken, and our relationship with our Creator is broken because Satan is our enemy. And Satan is strong, and Satan is powerful. Luckily, Paul, he doesn't leave us hanging. You know, Paul's not going, so you got this big, uh, you know, enemy going here, and that's who you struggle or wrestle intensely with is, is him. Uh, good luck with that. Right, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that. Yeah, he actually goes on and he's like, hey, this is what you need to know. In Verse 13, he says, for this reason... Because you have a powerful enemy, because Satan is after you and he wants you dead. He wants to destroy you. He says, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, to take your stand. Right? Stand. Therefore, don't run away. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, not some situations, every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right, so here, uh, well, here, Paul, he mentions these things. He's like, hey, you need to put on this stuff. How many of you, uh, first of all, whenever I think of the, the armor of God, right, I think of like, I don't know, Sunday school or vacation Bible school when I was a kid, like plastic kid toys. You guys like that? I mean, same with you guys? Okay, six people. Others of you, maybe you didn't go to church when you were young, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> we've seen this. Um, how many of you have ever uh, end up wearing the wrong thing to something? You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what it is maybe you dressed up maybe you're dressed maybe too much or overdressed or underdressed you know what I'm talking about or maybe a friend told you that it was a costume party and it wasn't all right? you should cut that person out of your life and I think that's biblical to do that um, but uh, I remember when Kate and I we were engaged and there's like a period of life and it depends on what kind of crowd you run around with when this period of life is in your life but for me, uh, this was in our early 20s where it seemed like all of our friends started getting married. It's like wedding, 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 wedding. It's actually quite annoying. I'm not a fan of weddings, and you have to sit there and it's boring, and then you got the reception and it's even more boring. And uh, it just ruins the whole day. But uh, so that's generally how I feel about weddings. But I do weddings all the time, so I probably shouldn't say that. Um, but anyway, anyway. The, uh, so where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, dressing. Um, so it was our first wedding that we were going to as a couple, and we were going to one of our friends. It was in the summertime. It was, um, again, the summer that we were engaged. And, uh, and I packed, like, it was in Chicago, so I packed, like, what I thought were nice clothes. And um, when I put them on, we got in the car, and we're driving to the, to the wedding. We're driving to the church, and she looks over at me, and she's like, what are you wearing? And I'm like, and I'm like 22, right, 22-year-old 22 guy, and I'm like, I don't know, this looks pretty good to me. And she's like, you can't wear that. And I'm like, this is all I got. And so we ended up driving there, but she was just like, you look terrible, okay? And she was so embarrassed, and then I'm embarrassed because she's like inviting, she's like introducing me to all her friends that I've never, you know, that I've never met before, and and I'm just like, and i what I thought I was wearing was, I'm not gonna describe what I was wearing because some people probably wear this and I don't wanna say this is, you know, but, but I just remember walking around all day because wedding a lot of times lasts like the entire day, you know? And I'm just like, oh, I look so stupid, you know? Because Kate, I didn't think that, but she, yeah, there she is. But she, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, she still makes fun of it to me today. Um, anyway, I didn't think it was that bad, but I sure felt like an idiot. Um, See, that's what happens, right, in a sense. Sometimes we wear the wrong thing. Either we dress up or we dress down, right? And this is my fear, is that too many people within our church, within our family here, wake up every day and we walk out into the world wearing the wrong thing. See, we're not prepared for what Satan is going to throw at us. And Paul is very clear He's saying, hey, you got to wear the right stuff, or you got to put on the right stuff. That is so, so important. He's saying, you got to wear truth, righteousness, you got to be ready for the gospel, you got to have faith, and you got to have salvation. Okay, does that make sense? He's saying these things should be part of our life. Truth, righteousness, readiness of the, for the gospel, faith, and salvation. These things should be part of our life. These things protect us from Satan who's trying to shoot flaming arrows at us. I mean, constantly. He's trying to get us where he's gonna hurt the worst. Right? We gotta have truth. I mean, Satan, what's he? He's he's constantly lying to us. He's constantly in our head, constantly throwing out, throwing out lies. We got to know what's true or not. How do we know what's true or not? Well, the only way we got it is, by, is by reading God's word. All right, we got to have righteousness, meaning we got to do right. These are like works, okay? We got we to be righteous at work. We got to be righteous at school. People should be able to see a difference in us. Why? Because Satan is always trying, anything we do, anything wrong, Satan's trying to accuse us. He's trying to take away our reputation. All right, we got to be ready for the gospel. That's important because Satan is trying to lead everybody else away from truth. All right, we got to have faith because Satan's always trying to say, hey, there's no, there's no hope. We got to have salvation because Satan wants as many people to experience death. And I'm talking spiritual death as possible. See, we are in a battle and he's, Paul's saying, hey, this is our armor. And so when Satan shoots these flaming arrows at us because he hates us, because he's always trying to tempt us, because he, he wants to destroy our reputation and he wants to pull us from God, we can be prepared. By the way, notice that almost, uh, an, almost the entirety of what he's saying here is all for defense. Have you noticed that? There's only one offensive weapon that Paul mentions. And he says, he says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So what's our offensive weapon? This. This is our offensive weapon. Does that mean we're going around like hitting people with it? No. (laughs) It's not what he's talking about. You can if you want. (laughs) But uh, I don't think it's going to work that well. All right? Our offensive weapon is to know the truth. All right, not that we have to carry the Bible around with us everywhere we go, but we're supposed to have it in here. In this sense, we're supposed to carry it around with us. Now, I, I am terrible at memorizing things. I'll be honest, as a pastor, and this is going to sound really bad to some of you, but I am terrible at memorizing verses, all right? I stink at it. I'm not good at it. I can't, you know, AJ, he's probably got 100 verses memorized right now, but uh, not me. Um, now, you probably don't have any. Okay. But he was shaking his head now. so. But, uh, you know, I'm just not good at it. But one thing I do notice is that whenever I read the Bible, and the more I read, the more I take out, and the more I have a better sense in my own mind about what truth and what is truth and what's wrong. Does that make sense? I'm not saying you have to have every verse memorized, okay? What I am saying, I mean, we see that the Pharisees in the New Testament, they had the entire Torah, first five books of the Bible completely memorized, and that didn't seem to help them that much right? But what I'm a- I am saying is we need to be in the Word of God. Like, we need to know what God's message is to us. We need to know what it says. Like, that is important. It's our weapon. It's the only weapon that we have. And that happens to be the weapon that Satan attends to attack first. What did he do with Eve? He says, did God really say? What is he attacking? He's attacking this. He's attacking God's Word. Are you sure God's Word says that? Look what Satan does when Remember when he, uh, when he tempts Jesus, like he tempted God. Didn't work out too well for him, right? But Jesus, he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. He fasts for 40 days, which would be crazy, but he does it anyway, and he spends 40 days with God. And um, while he's out there, right, Satan shows up, probably when Jesus is at his weakest in terms of his humanity. And Satan, what's he do? He quotes scripture to him. He quotes the Old Testament. He, he quotes it saying, Hey, the Bible says this, so you should do this. All trying to get him, Jesus, to worship himself. Right? He misquoted Scripture. And how did Jesus respond? Jesus responded, quoting Scripture back to him. That's how he resisted temptation. I mean, it really makes us wonder like, think about this for just a second. Does Satan know the Word of God better than you? Does he? I mean, think about that. It's important. He is crafty. See, sometimes we just forget that we are in a battle against a powerful enemy, and God says, you need to stand your ground. And God has given you what you need to do that, and he's given you what you need to resist. See, we've been looking at this letter to Ephesians, and we've looked at the backstory, and Paul, he, remember, where he leaves Ephesus, and he goes from city to city preaching the word, and Paul, we actually know in the next chapter in the book of Acts that he comes back uh, to the area of Ephesus, but he does not go into Ephesus, which is interesting. He probably had some reason for that. But you know what he does? He actually calls the church to come meet him to a, at a nearby city. And uh, the church comes to him, and basically what he tells the church is he says, hey, you know, we're never going to see each other again. Now, God's telling me that if I go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna get killed for my faith and all this bad stuff's gonna happen to me, but I'm going there anyway, which is interesting. It's like God's warning him and he's like, oh, I'm going, I'm, you know. Um, And they're all sad and and people are crying, we know, and and they they pray together. But I just wanna point out Paul's words to them. These are his last words to them when he is face to face and he's been with them for two years and this is what he says. He says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. People are going to come and they're going to attack you. He says, men will rise up even from within your own number, even from within our family. He's saying, and they will destroy th- or distort the truth. He's saying, you know, it's the did God really say, same thing Satan does, to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert. See a theme here? Paul, he ends this letter to the the Ephesians. He says, hey, be on alert. Peter, he's saying, hey, you need to be on alert. Paul, his last words uh, to the Ephesians in person, uh, two years before, he said, hey, you need to be on alert. Because they're coming for you. See, Paul desperately, more than anything, he wanted the church to understand that there is really a battle going on, And, and he wanted them to understand the reality of our powerful enemy. And God doesn't just leave us to fend for ourselves, all right? Every day, we need to wake up, and we need to put on the right stuff. We need to put on truth and righteousness, and we need to be ready for the gospel. We need to put on faith. We need to put on salvation, which God has already given us, those of us who have given our life over to him. And we need to carry around God's word, which is the first thing the saint attacks. That's why getting in our Bibles is so important. So stand firm. Resist. Be on the alert, church, because he's coming for us. Let's pray. God, we... uh, We know that you love us, and especially with everything that's just going on in our world right now that, you know, we don't know when this stuff's going to end. Lord, we need to remember that we are in a spiritual battle, every single one of us that have that relationship with you, and we're all equals in this. Satan's coming after all of us. Lord, help us to be strong enough to resist and help us to stay alert And help us to stand against them, Lord, you've given us what you need. You've given us truth. You've given us your word. You've given us salvation. You've saved us. Lord, you love us more than anything, and we thank you for that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.